0: Welcome to Fading Memories, a supportive podcast for those of us caring for a loved one with memory loss.
1: Jennifer and her sister chose MBK Senior Living for Mom, and as tough as it was, it was the right decision. MBK has a culture of genuine care, one that puts the needs of residents and their families first. They achieve this by building on a solid infrastructure of warm, inviting living spaces and impeccable amenities in attractive, desirable locations. Then their commitment to providing relationship-based care and their attention to each individual sets them apart. MBK gives back to their community, which is especially meaningful to our family. Their commitment every day is to practice compassion and to pay attention to residents' needs so that they can be nimble enough to adjust care accordingly. Their core motivation is, let our family help your family, and I can tell you that for our family, that goal is achieved. Mom seems happy, she has friends, and it's certainly a much better situation for her than living with us. At an MBK Senior Living community, their motto is, we are all family and here is home. For more information, go to their website, mbkseniorliving.com, or give them a call at 949- 2421400
0: Today I talked to Mary Ann, a writer who also happens to be a nurse. She has an extensive background in elder care and also an extensive background caring for her family stricken with Alzheimer's or dementia. She brought her two passions together and writes about the intricate lives of people struggling with health and family issues. Blue Hydrangeas is an Alzheimer's love story. It's probably not what you'd think you'd like to read, but trust me, it is. It's a beautifully written book with a very timely message. It is exactly what all of us, young and older, need to read. This is a story of many living with dementia, and it was important that their stories be told in a way that readers could relate to.
2: Hi, Jennifer. My name's Mary Ann Schuko. I'm an author, and I'm also a registered nurse. Hi, my Thanks first... for thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me on. I love the opportunity
0: to talk to new people and to meet readers. (laughs) Well, I'm definitely one of those. Mm -hmm. So you wrote a book called Blue Hydrangeas, which is named after the fictional bed and breakfast on Cape Cod.
2: That's right. I created my own little town on Cape Cod called Falmouth Port.
0: I love Cape Cod. It's my home in my heart. That makes sense because the it didn't feel fictional.
2: No, I, I did invest a lot of effort into making it alive. Um, it's actually, I tried to make it be a character in the story, the, the setting.
0: Well, it's a beautiful setting. And Thank so far, you. the book is very beautiful. Um, can you tell the listeners a little bit about the story? And then I want to ask you some additional questions.
2: Um, Yeah, um, Blue Hydrangeas is is the story of Jack and Sarah Harmon, who have been married for over 50 years and are living a beautiful, picture-perfect retirement until Alzheimer's strikes, Sarah. And uh, they live on Cape Cod. It was their dream to buy a bed and breakfast, and they've operated it for many years. But when Sarah starts with the Alzheimer's, things progress to the point where he has to close it, and at the start of the story, they're in crisis. Jack is struggling desperately to keep his wife at home because he had promised her they would not be separated, but it's getting
0: more and more difficult for him to do so. And that, that kind of promise is very typical with our seniors. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a fair promise, but it's not one that can generally be kept.
2: Right, it's usually made at the beginning when things are not so bad.
0: That is true. Uh,
2: Yes. And um, nobody can foresee the difficulties that might. And so
0: mainly the decline in the health of the caregiver, which is what the story is about. Yeah, I haven't mentioned it that I believe on the podcast, but 65% of caregivers are either hospitalized or die before the Uh person who they're caring for passes away. And that's a huge number. Yeah, it's Um, terrible. And I'm sure that number would be higher if... Most of the caregivers were also seniors, unlike people like myself. I'm not, I'm healthy. I'm not that old. So, and I also don't have my mother full time. So (laughs) three, Mm -hmm. three things in my favor. So as I was reading the book, it obviously resonates because I've, you know, my mom's got advanced Alzheimer's. My dad never considered assisted living for them or a memory community for her and I didn't find out until just before he passed away, he assumed she'd come live with me, which was a bold assumption because my daughter moved out a month before he passed away. So prior to that, I didn't even have a room for her. And mm-hmm. my husband and I are self-employed. So you know it wasn't, it wasn't anything we had a conversation about and it wasn't something that was realistic, mm-hmm. which maybe is why he never talked about it with me. I never actually thought yeah. about it that way. So the, it resonated with me quite a bit, but I'm wondering, I, the whole time I was reading last night, I was wondering, you know, what's your backstory? Most people I don't believe would decide to write a, an Alzheimer's fictional novel just for the heck of it. I'm assuming you've got some story behind the story. Yeah, there are a few stories behind the
2: story. <laughs> First of all, I, I said that I'm a nurse and I did a lot of work with Alzheimer's and dementia patients and their families, whom I actually really enjoyed. So I know some people find that odd, but they were working in a dementia ward. It was, I thought it was great. And I wanted to write a book and I started on another another kind of story and it really wasn't resonating with me. And one day I went to work, at this time I was working in a rehab unit in hospital and I had a patient who had um, Alzheimer's disease and her husband, And the two of them had traveled from uh, Florida to New York by themselves, which was amazing because she was very advanced in her disease and he was frail. Mm. He did not look like a well man either, but he adored her and he was by her side. He was very um, charming and she was gorgeous and she would just laugh and she would tell me, oh, I'm so mixed up. And, you know, she couldn't really handle a conversation. So the plan was for the two of them, for for her to go the next day to another, um, like a nursing home level of rehab care because she broke a pelvis. And the son was there and he said to me, is it okay if I drive my parents there because I don't want my father to take my mother? I want to be involved in the admission process. I said, sure, that's not a problem. That happens all the time. But after I left them, I began wondering, well, what would happen if they did leave the hospital without their son? Where would they go? What would they do? And so that became the foundation of my story. And I came up with a lot of different plots, but finally settled on the one of being innkeepers down the Cape and traveling back in time to one of their favorite locations where um, they enjoyed themselves the most, but it was also the scene of the biggest heartbreak. And Jack is at a point where he doesn't know what to do anymore. And he takes her out to the outer reaches of Cape Cod, which is as far as you can go in, this, in the United States on the east, heading out into, onto the edges of Cape Cod to escape. And there is no escape. And he's also not well himself and ends up having some medical problems. And in the, in the end, he manages to find a way for them to stay together.
0: I'm up to the part of the book where he doesn't leave her at the memory community that he had picked up. Right. Right. And then I had right. to do work this morning, so I couldn't continue, oh, even sad. though I really wanted to. Yeah. I almost yeah. canceled lunch with my friend. Uh, I was enjoying it. So well.
2: <laughs> it's just such a gripping scene when she sees where she is and she understands what's happening. Well, and, and the description
0: of, you know, when he was there checking it out, it, it was different when he went to move her in, which was the exact scenario right. I had with my mom. Um, we, my sister and I had had a couple of ideas of what to do with her after our dad passed, and it became obvious to me that those were not really the best ideas for anybody. And I went and looked at a couple of the local... Um, senior communities. There's one real close to my house and then there's one that's about 15 minutes away. And when I went, you know, it's pretty and I don't know, I think, well, see, I went after lunch. So the residents were napping and doing activities. And the Uh day we moved my mom in, there was a gentleman, was very tall. And as soon as the door to the outside was open, And it was like the sunlight was sneaking in. It was, and I know this is a really kind of a cruel way to describe it, but it was literally like the zombie headed towards the light. And of Mm -hmm. course they had to redirect him. And then there was another resident who had shoved a stuffed animal down the back of her pants. And I thought, Oh my God, I can't do this to my mother. But I knew her being with me wasn't right. And it was just, Oh, I've, repeatedly said on the podcast that that was the worst day of my life because she Mm -hmm. cried, she begged and pleaded. I mean, thankfully she doesn't remember, but I'm sure she hated all of us, the two daughters and the son-in-laws a lot. We were blessed. They let her keep her dog. So her dog was a comfort.
2: Oh, that's good.
0: Yeah. They, they renovated recently and the dog was not, she was used to being able to come and go at their house to do her business. And that didn't, She didn't have that option and there was not a lot of structure. So when they told me they were getting new carpet and then the executive director kind of hemmed and hawed, I'm like, I get it. (laughs) would like me to rehome the dog, which was needed because she was not being well cared for because my mom couldn't do it and the dog didn't make it easier. All the little old ladies fed her from the table. So she was double what she should have weighed and gaining I expect yeah. I, there was many days I'm like one of these days I'm going to go there and it's just going to be like popped poodle on the floor. <laughs> it was terrible. So and mom doesn't seem to remember that the dog is gone. Okay, so, that's a blessing. Yeah, and I, we were worried about that, but we kind of suspected that would be the case. So you know, it's it's been a good thing for her because she socializes, and you know, every time I go. Almost every time i go she's she's chatting with one of her friends who also happens to be named Diane for quite a while. There was three diane's talk about confusing <laughs> one of them just recently moved out, so now it's just the two diane's and you know they just hang out and they talk they don't they don't do any of the crafts or activities or any of that stuff that we had hoped she would do, but she's happy i I would assume i mean it's hard to tell right I and mean, she's not bursted into tears when we show up anymore that happened for about two and a half months so you have not had a family member with alzheimer's oh i've had several oh okay
2: before i wrote my book i had three aunts that i loved and i wasn't involved directly with their situation but you know I, i observed it and it was painful and then um about Two years after I published my book, my stepfather was diagnosed with three kinds of dementia. Three? I have not ever heard yes. that. He had mixed dementia. He had um, frontotemporal lobe, vascular, and Alzheimer's, they said. Jeez. Oh, so he was, a, it was a big problem because my mom, she was covering for a lot. And I would say to her, you know, there's something about him is just not right. And I'm a nurse and I was in, embarrassed when it never even dawned on me that it could be dementia I just thought he was depressed or being a pain in the ass because he was (laughs) a difficult man and he was getting more difficult and um Finally, one day I went there and he looked like the man looked like a wreck. I mean, this was a man who was always well-groomed and proud of his appearance and his clothing. And I went there and my mother's screaming, I don't know what to do. He won't shave. He hasn't had a shower in a month. And I said, what the heck is going on? (laughs) He needed a haircut. And he was he just looked awful. So I said, you know, um, we need to get him to a doctor and I don't like your doctor because I'd been there before and he didn't seem to care to do anything. So I said, I'm going to find him a new doctor. (laughs) And she said, okay, find a woman. He likes women doctor. I said, okay, I'll get a woman doctor. And I did. And I took him, took them. And she told me he needs to be in a memory care unit. And I almost fell on the floor. I said, excuse me, this is our first visit. (laughs) What about home care? What about a pill? Oh, no. This is long gone beyond those times. So I said, oh, am I going to tell my mother? So then I scheduled him for a complete workup. And in the interim, my mother was in a very bad car accident. She broke many bones on her right side. <laughs> ribs and on her shoulder, um, uh, cl- um, sternum. She was completely out of it. She couldn't function and she was at home and she couldn't take care of him anymore. That was it. And as soon as he, my mother, um, lost her reins over him. He spiraled down into this unbelievable place not to come back from. And he, uh, he had to go to a facility. We had to have him um, admitted to a psychiatric center for geriatrics, like on the fly, like all of a sudden they call, bring him to the hospital now. No No prep. It was a nightmare. My brothers did that job. We got him in there, and when he realized what was going on, he, of course, was very unhappy. And he was there for five weeks before they finally found a nursing home for him. Nobody would accept him because he was a behavior problem. He was um, a pincher. Oh. You know, he would do stuff like that before when he was at home. A lot of it was fooling around, but I always was a little nervous. I didn't want him to hurt my mother. And I didn't want my mother to hurt him because that was, you know, she had no patience for it. So anyway, we finally found a place. Um, My mother had told me there were two places she absolutely would never send him to. And um, one of them was the only place that would take him. Of course. Yeah, but it was near their home. And I said to her, why do you not want this place? And we went there and looked it over and it was old and everything, but it wasn't, it didn't seem like a bad place. And I noticed that the staff was engaged with the patients and I liked that. So I said, why don't you, why did you not want this place? And she said, well, I just heard some negative things about it about 10 years ago. <laughs> I was like, well, it's not 10 years now, Ma, come on. And actually they, did, they took good care of him. And she ended up going there for her, herself for her re- uh, rehab when she broke her hip. So, um, and they didn't do a bad job with her either. They were very good to her. So uh, it wasn't the most beautiful place in the world. I know what you mean when you say that. A lot of uh, hospitals and facilities are very into aesthetics and decor. That's not what this is about. They need people that are there and ready and able to assist the residents or the patients. Patients don't care about the wallpaper, the curtains, and they don't care about the fish tank in in the lobby. But they do care that somebody comes when they need to go to the bathroom or they need to be fed or have a problem. So, you know, I know as a nurse, you never have enough hands. That is very true. And my husband's aunt was in a beautiful place. They were paying top dollar for them, and it was new and gorgeous, and we went there to visit in the dementia ward. And she's just wandering around with her walker, goes in her room, the door closes behind her. I said, nobody's even watching this woman.
0: Isn't that why you put them there? one's it watching. But the place was beautiful. Yeah, my mom's place is beautiful. Some of the renovations they did – lean way more to the aesthetic than the practical it's very pretty not practical uh-huh. there's staff there that's been there the entire time my mom's been there so it's been about 20 months oh uh, so that's a good sign yeah i mean they've good had other turnover um yeah you know and i can understand it it's they don't they don't get paid a lot and it's oh my gosh no. i'm with that's my mom an hour and a half two bad. hours and you know, I got to watch and make sure the cops aren't following because I'm like, shoom, out the door and down the road to home. And I'm going to pause our conversation here and make a point. Most of our loved ones insist on living out the rest of their days in their own home, and they extract that promise from us. This is completely understandable, but it's not always a promise that can be kept. Caregivers, especially spouses, frequently have their own health issues, and the strain of caring for someone with a failing mind can make those issues far worse. Blue hydrangeas can give you an insight into what might happen when the caregiver can no longer continue providing care. It could be a way to broach the subject of assisted living with your loved one, provided their mind is still able to process the conversation logically. I've talked to far too many people who find themselves in a crisis because they do everything they can to keep their loved one at home. Some, like my dad, die trying. I've talked about this issue on past episodes, which I encourage you to revisit. Caring for a loved one whose mind is failing requires a lot of time, patience, and creativity. I feel very strongly that it's important not to rule out any options early on. Being creative and open-minded will make life a lot easier as the disease progresses. As our conversation goes on, Marianne and I talk about how easy it was to miss the signs of Alzheimer's in her stepfather. I honestly think we missed cognitive decline in my dad because mom was so much worse. The following part of our conversation is all about her experiences caring for aging people, and I think you'll find her insights very helpful. You were talking about you as an RN missed Uh the signs in your stepdad. And that's so common. Is there any, how do we fix that with people? Is there a way of opening our eyes? We, just, is that just human nature to, to avoid seeing the inevitable?
2: Well, my, my mom was nine years older than her husband. So at his di- time of diagnosis, he was 79 and she was 88. And my mother was terrified of Alzheimer's because her sister had it. And she would pray out loud, "Please, God, don't give me Alzheimer's. Don't give me Alzheimer's." I mean, she's terrified of it. So I was aware of her, but I wasn't very paying a lot of attention to him because, like I said, he was born with a brain injury and he had some deficits already. And he was just always a pain. A pain. He I mean, was just not always pleasant. He was not a bad man. He had his issues. But I never, it never dawned on me that it was a dementia problem. I just thought he was depressed. He would sleep 20 hours a day. I would visit, and he would sleep the entire time, just get up for meals. Oh, he wouldn't wow. even Yeah. And my mother liked that because he was not driving her nuts. I can understand but that. He would be, you know, okay. That's okay. She could do her thing. She would go where she wanted to go, socialize, go to church, go to bingo, have her enjoy her daughter and her granddaughter or her children when they, everybody would come when I visit. And we'd have a nice time. And when he was awake, he was just, he was very nonsensical. He would sit in a chair and just repeat the same thing over and over again until you wanted to slap him. Yeah, that was unbelievable. He used to always say, this is a funny story. He would always say, I'm going to Brockton. I'm not coming back. I'm going to Brockton and I'm not coming back. Well, that's where they they were from. He was born there, spent most of his life in Brockton, Massachusetts. So uh, they had moved down to Cape Cod um, in their retirement years. So when I couldn't get a nursing home, the social worker called and she says, we can't find a place for him near where your mother lives. So I would like to expand the search. Can I start looking in Brockton? And I said, (laughs) oh my God, he's going to Brockton. He's not coming back. (laughs) (laughs) He knew, he knew. (laughs) Like, <laughs> but fortunately that didn't happen because that would have been very inconvenient, but it was funny. So um,
0: how far away was Brockton from where your mom lived? It was? was a
2: good 40 minutes
0: or so. It was yeah. going to be like a not, not doable. Yeah. That's like my parents lived 20 miles from me and about 26 to a little under 30, somewhere about there from my sister. So, and it's, you know, being in California, that was easily 35, 40 minute drive and it was when he, my dad was on hospice, it was just, I, I feared an emergency that, you know, we'd have to race over there because we weren't, we weren't close. Now I'm 15 minutes from my mom. Right. As long as I don't go when school's letting out, because I'd have to pass the high school and the middle school and then elementary school and then another middle school. <laughs> so don't go about two thirty, three 3 o'clock. Not a good idea.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I live um, four hours away from my parents, from my mom and her husband. So I would travel up there every three or four weeks, and in the end it was more frequent. I would stay sometimes for a week depending on what was happening because I had a lot of business to do. I was responsible for them, you know, medically, legally, and financially managing all their affairs at that point. So, I mean, my mom got in a bad accident, so that kind of made, sped a lot of things up because she became incapacitated. So I was able to take over a lot of things and smooth the way for them because they needed to go on Medicaid and all of that.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of people Which that a process. Yeah, there's a, we've got, I know people whose parent refused to turn over any access to finances or mm-hmm. insurance. And it's just the worst thing. Yep.
2: I was fortunate. My mom trusted me with all that. And we, and he, he did too, even though he didn't want to, but he knew he had to. And it was a year later that I had to activate the power of attorney and all that business. So thank God, thank God cause it was a bad experience. And I can't imagine what it would be like if you didn't have that. You wouldn't be able to do the work and he, you know, they didn't have a lot of money, and they the nursing home was twelve thousand dollars a month. So, you know, first my mother said, "Oh no, I don't want to go on Medicaid." And I said, "Well, that's that's fine, mom. You don't have to go on Medicaid, but they're going to send you a bill every month for twelve thousand dollars, and you have to pay it." She says, "Well, I can't pay that." I said, "Well, of course you can. Who can? Even if you saved every penny you ever earned, you still can't pay for this." He was there for eighteen months.
0: I thought my mom's place was expensive. She's up to. Fifty-seven hundred, which includes the rent oh. and the care. Wow!
2: And wh- where is that? What state?
0: We're in California. We're in the San Francisco oh, Bay Area.
2: Interesting.
0: So We're in the. In, you're in Massachusetts, so. Yeah, yeah, you're you're a high tax blue state like us. Ugh. <laughs> uh, I mean, they, he was in you know
2: long term care, so maybe your mom's more in an assisted living.
0: Yeah, it's an so assisted living anxiety. community with the memory care. She's in the memory yeah. care. Um yeah,
2: that sounds like that kind of arrangement is less expensive than the full blown
0: nurse at home where he was, even she, still there's six levels of care, and she's at the bottom of level two and i even with the top the top dollar amount currently doesn't top out at twelve thousand, so wow, so it that's makes good. me feel better,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, twelve thousand and then when my mom had to go in at um toward the end of her life, she um she had heart failure and and lung problems and kidney problems. So she ended up having, they told me she was on hospice and they said she only had a few days or weeks and we had to bring her to a place for some hospice care. And they they wanted $12,000. Yeah, I had to write that check out and it was killing me. But um, my mother went to hospice and a week later she was in rehab. So go figure. I don't know what
0: happened. I think they get better care. Like in your book, you when she the character, mm-hmm. her name just slipped my mind. So Alice. And Alice. The okay, it was Alice. Um, Alice. Um, when she was in the hospital for the period of time before she was supposed to go to the memory community, um, she was brighter and better, and it's because there's people paying attention, making sure they eat sure they drink because I dropped my mom off Thanksgiving evening probably somewhere somewhere around eight seven thirty eight o'clock somewhere in there and she had you know she's not on very many medications thankfully they gave her her pill with you know just probably three ounces of water and they made sure she drank all the water so you know it's I think that's what helps is they get the the one-on-one care that they need that, you know, even if you're with them 24-7, you just can't do. Right. And she it was,
2: you know, with trained nurses and the person that was caring for her was not trained. We had yeah. people come to the house, but not, it wasn't enough. And the caregiver had collapsed. So, you know, we Ugh. didn't have any other option. And I hated bringing her there. But then she left and she went home to my to my brother's. And she lived with him for two months before she passed away. And we got an extra four months. So I'm grateful for that. And, um, you know, the whole thing was just, it's like mind numbing, really. That Mm -hmm. whole being responsible for somebody like that. She, um, you know, left this earth on her own terms. So uh, that was good.
0: I think a lot of people think, yeah, if they stay home, that they get to leave the earth on their own terms. But I've can i told people, that's what my dad thought, and that's not what happened. And my mom never wanted to be in a memory community. She didn't want to end up like her mom, which is interesting because my aunt took care of my grandmother. Um, They lived on my grandmother's Social Security, so you can imagine what happened Mm -hmm. to my aunt when my grandmother passed away. Yeah. Um, Yeah. She's basically... Yeah, and I'm not really sure why the rest of the family allowed that to happen, but family dynamics, right? right um, I know. She never wanted to be a burden. She didn't want to go into a memory community, and she didn't want to end up like her mom. So it's like those three puzzle pieces don't fit together. But like I said, she's happier. She can stay there till the end, um, you know, which is, like I said, there's a, an assisted living-only community a mile and a half from me, and, like, there's another... Combination community a mile from me, and she's fifteen minutes away. <laughs> but you know, it's 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 a nice place. The people treat her right. It could be worse. It could be a lot worse. And like I said, she's happy as far as I can tell. You know, she's not unhappy. It's it's a better situation than with me. It was a better situation than with my dad because I, his health issues caused him. He was sounds like a little bit like your stepdad. He he did not have a lot of patience and of course when you have your own chronic health issues, patience does not is not something you can hang on to easily and, and there are times, you know, she asked me, you know, does my husband know where I'm going? Does my husband know where I'm going? I like, yes, mom. You know, and, and she gets very concerned because he'll get very angry if he doesn't know where she's at. So it's obvious that he he was he got short with her very quickly. And I knew, I knew that was happening. I didn't know how to fix that situation because he was, he refused all kinds of help. Right. So I, right. yeah, you know, I don't, one of the things I intend to do is work with the Alzheimer's association on the Alzheimer's direct, which is working with physicians so that when there's a diagnosis, these people get shuttled into the Alzheimer's association and all of the um resources that are available. Cause I didn't learn about any of these resources actually until I started doing the podcast, which was the beginning of this. Oh week. My Lord. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, yeah. that's yeah. It's, and I, I've met a lot of people that feel that way. So since you're a nurse and you've had way more family experience with this disease than you needed, <laughs> what yeah. what advice do you have for people that, you know, they think something's going on, but they're not really sure. You know, what what should somebody look for and how should they handle it if they think there's a memory issue? Put you on the spot. Yeah, if if there's
2: concerns that the person is having memory problems or they're not keeping up with their hygiene or their home, that was another symptom. My stepfather always kept an immaculate home, and my mother didn't do housework, and then he didn't do it anymore. And he wouldn't let anybody else do it either because he was going to do it. And he never did. So that was like a big red flag. The floor was dirty and things were dirty. And um, if they're having money problems, that's like another sign. Or getting lost, especially with the car. They get lost all the time. And my mom, she was in denial and she didn't, she didn't want any changes, she would say. You know, I don't want any changes, but I used to call the doctor and I used to report what was happening, my concerns, and asked him to do things, do some testing and and whatever. And and my mother always declined, so nothing ever got done. So the first thing is you got to get past that denial because you're not helping anybody if you end up getting a diagnosis that you're already at the end on day one. Yeah, that would be rough. That was devastating and we did not know what to do. It was for everybody, especially for him yeah you know, we we couldn't even get home health aides in the house. They came to do an assessment, and they said he because he was so um had behavior problems and and said things inappropriately and and was not nice that they would not subject their staff to him, so they refused to have anybody come to the house. but they would send people for my mother if he wasn't there. That's a pretty serious spot to be in, yeah. That was bad. I, I, I didn't even know what to do about that. And I, we had, my mother had to have care. She had lost the use of her right arm and she it was in a lot of pain and had breathing problems. So she, the last thing she needed to do was have to be concerned about what's going on with him. She pre- pretty much gave up on him at that point because of herself. So um, I was just very glad that I managed to get them to agree to go to the doctor. But we found a good specialist. It was a specialist in geriatric um, issues, which was good. And then we had already been to the lawyer. But if somebody has cognitive problems, you need to get their papers in place. That's to me, is the second most important thing. Because if you have to start taking over their bills and their medical, you know, information and, and taking them to the doctors and stuff, you have to have those papers and you can't get them if they have a diagnosis of dementia. They can't sign.
0: Yeah. We went, fortunately, my parents had a trust that there was, was the best thing. Yeah. But after it was very clear, my mom was the beneficiary for my dad after he passed. Okay. That was logical, except that she was not cognitively able to do that. And in her part of the trust, it was not clear what what happened in that scenario so my sister and i had to go to a lawyer mm-hmm. and thankfully all he had to do was read through it i guess a little more thoroughly than anybody else had and he found where we were the successor trustees so we did not have to go to court thank, thankfully but we were close you
2: were lucky and,
0: yeah. yeah i've heard nightmares about that and this was after my dad died and it was you know nobody gives you a crash course and here's what you do when your parent dies. Here's right. all this paperwork that, you know, thankfully my husband worked in banking for 20 years. So he kind of had the, the financial legal ease part of it as experience. And, you know, my sister and I have our own skill sets and it all came together pretty well, but you know, it was just like, I kept telling people it shouldn't take this much paperwork to die. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think there's more paperwork for him than there's been for my mom so far.
2: I'm still doing paperwork for him. He died in January, and, and my mom's been three months now. Today I, I canceled the credit card account, so that was something else, another piece of the puzzle that was, like, kind of out there that I had forgotten about. So, in, you know, then you get the threatening letters from the government, from Social Security and, and Medicaid
0: and Medicaid, all that. It's like, oh, no. oh They were it's good horrible. at my dad. My dad died March 2nd. So I th- I don't remember. I think they had paid both social securities and then took his back and changed yeah. her and it was like fortunately, you know, there was she was still at the house and it was, you know, financially it was okay because my dad had investments. They lived in their house just under 47 years, so it was paid for. It has super ridiculously low property taxes. They pay a year, I pay a month, just uh-huh. for comparisons. And, you know, we were okay. I mean, it wasn't something we could maintain forever. And they fixed that, like, the following month by April. You know, it was, she was getting the survivor benefits and, you know, she was already at her new residence for two weeks by then. But, yeah, it was just crazy. The, the hardest thing was, like, canceling his f- cell phone. He was an AT and T employee, and he had AT and T retirement employee benefit on the phone, and they kept saying, "Well, what's you know, what's his PIN number?" I don't know. Well, can you ask him? No, he's dead. Right. I'm sorry. (laughs) Had a conversation like that. You know, I cannot believe how many people and how many times I had to keep saying, "You know, he's dead. He's dead. He's dead." It's like after a while, it's like, do you people realize what? They don't listen. Yeah, it's like. There was something, oh, just recently, because my mom's doctor left the practice, and I had to establish a new relationship with a new practitioner, which I'm happy with. I liked him, but now we have a younger nurse practitioner, and I like her a lot, and I guess it matters more to me since I'm the has to deal with them. And I generally make the appointments for my mom on Mondays. That's when I go visit her. And I had it on my calendar on a Thursday and I'm like, I hate it when I put it on the wrong day. So I moved it to the Monday and I didn't get one of those reminder phone calls. And I'm like, Hmm. So I called and I said, I just need to verify Diane, you know, so-and-so's appointment for later this afternoon. Well, we can't tell you anything. We need to talk to her. And I'm like, excuse me. And I've given them all the paperwork, her doctors, the one that said she was, you know, not legally, you know, she she couldn't do that stuff. It was so frustrating. So when we got to the doctor, I had, you know, a half inch stack of paperwork from her trust that said I was the healthcare power of attorney. And I'm like, please make sure this is in her file. I'm like, do not I'm like, I don't deal well with that bureaucratic nonsense. My husband right. ends up dealing with that because he knows yeah. it's like about two minutes of that stuff and I'm about ready to rip heads off and roll them down the street. He he can deal with that much better. He's a real estate agent. He's been a real estate agent long enough. He had to deal with the banks during the whole real estate crisis we had starting 10 years ago. You know, he'd be on the phone for hours just waiting for answers and I would, I would not have survived that. <laughs> I know, that's how I am. No patience. Well, it's just stupid. It's like, it's the same office. It's the same file for the same patient. Why am I going, why am I being told to jump through hoops again? So hopefully that won't happen. She's got a neuro, neuro, neurologist appointment on Monday. That should be interesting. But you were saying how that you would call your stepdad's doctor and indicate, you know, you had concerns and I'm mm-hmm. assuming they didn't do anything with that. No, I called a few times, we spoke on the phone, I wrote him
2: letters. Like when I knew they had a, a visit coming up, I would write him a letter with my concerns in writing so that he would have something to refer to and nothing would come of that. And I went one time, in, it was in October of 15, when I was suspect, you know, really getting suspicious and went with them. I went up to visit and I said, I'm gonna go to the doctor with you. So they were thrilled that I was going. sarcasm oh yeah you know, because they love their doctor he was wonderful and he was so handsome all I ever heard and he tried to do a depression screening on Fred but Fred was not capable of answering the question so he gave up that was it and I'm like but if you can't do that you need to send him to someone who can so I just said you know what I'm taking control of the situation I'm not having this doctor anymore and they didn't my mother did for a little while. Well, most of the time he failed her twice at the end of her life, which I'm, I'm not happy with. The care was not good. The medical care.
0: That is that we because were, at that point it's not, you know, like business wise, And I know this is going to sound terrible, but business wise, it's like, I can't do very much for you and I'm not getting paid yeah. very much. So. Right. Is that yeah. The, my, my mom was on hospice
2: last winter it was a bitter winter and, um, she was so frail and, and the doctor would insist that we bring her to the doc, to his office and we refused. She was on hospice and it would be like 12 degrees and windy and no. <laughs> on oxygen. No, we're not bringing my mother out in this weather to go see you. We send the nurse practitioner to the house. You know, they had they had that arrangement, but he's just trying to even get that. It was just awful. It was I, awful. I, and he knew them for so long. I mean... He saw them four times, a minimum of four times a year for 15 years. So he should have picked up that there was something wrong with this guy.
0: Yeah, my dad, my dad, it just, in talking to you, I remember, and I'm 90% certain that this was in late summer, early fall of 98. That My dad sent a letter to her. Well, he called my mom's doctor and expressed concerns. And then he sent a letter with the same concerns and then he went down there, and this gal never did anything because mm-hmm. of his denials of her problems, which was the stupidest thing. We all had a family business together, right. so it was very obvious what was going on. We, I personally think she started showing signs of the disease in 1995, in the summer of 95. And I've said this multiple times. I think some of my listeners might think I'm getting Alzheimer's because I repeat a lot of the same stories. But she would take orders from clients and not write down when they were coming back to pick it up. And then they'd show up and we'd be like, Oh, hi. <laughs> so that's what happened in my story, in my book. Oh I ha- oh, yeah, that's right. She forgot the the big reservations.
2: They get to put them in the book.
0: Yes. Um, but so. she was not formally diagnosed until September of 2011. And the, which was a surprise to me. I just found that out this beginning of this year. I thought she was, Officially diagnosed in '8 because she did all the testing to become a kidney donor for my dad and was mm. rejected because of cognitive issues so why was it another three years? I mean these wow. are questions I'll never get answers to the A word I don't want to put the A word on I guess, but the, the diagnosis three years later I always thought it was dementia until literally January of this year and we're talking so that's you know almost Oh god, almost 20 years from when my dad first sent that letter. That's going to like haunt me today. <laughs> I don't know anybody whose parent has had Alzheimer's as long as my mom. And her mom lived to be 91, but she did not have Alzheimer's until she was in her mid to late 70s and my mom is almost 76, so I don't think my mom will live to 91. I don't so think your so. mom is 76 now. She'll be 76 in January. She had
2: young onset Alzheimer's. Yes.
0: In in her 50s. Yeah, if she started showing signs in the summer of 95, then she was 52 and a half, and I just had my 52nd birthday. So, excited. Amazing. Every time I lose that word or I can't remember somebody's name, I get nervous. Yeah, I'm terrible with it. I've never been good with names. Mm. Um, I am a photographer as a career, and so I'm an artist, and there's times when it's like, you know, that person, and I can describe them, but I can't remember their stupid name. It makes me crazy. Yeah, I
2: know. I can be like that, too.
0: <laughs> that's how my daughter is, so I don't worry about it. but it's, I can't worry about it. there's, I think that's one thing we need. Well, one of the reasons for the podcast is to help people understand what's going on and to destigmatize it because it's a huge problem, and the denial is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. You know, so I I'm there's um I got to get on trial match because I got emailed a thing that says you may qualify for this study and it's like okay I need to look at that but that was a couple days ago and I've had so many Black Friday Cyber Monday Giving Tuesday emails it's like I don't want to look at the email for a while. Yeah, I know. That'll be crazy. Yeah, it does. Um, Do you have any living relatives that are still? battling the disease or have they all passed on now? No, they've all passed.
2: I have my mother-in-law, she's 91. She's very, um, very healthy and sharp. Thank God. That sounds like my grandma. Um, And then her brother-in-law whose wife just died. Those are our elders now. He's in good, you know, he's not bad. He has some cognitive impairment, but he's mainly physical, but that's it. And then, you know, that whole, my mother was the last of her. Generation on on that side of the family, she was ninety one on her on her death, so she lived a really long time, which is good. My husband's mother's ninety one, so we have that home for us. We have a lot of we had a lot of old people, which is wonderful. My daughter grew up, you know, with a lot of elders that she was close to, which I think is important to a well well rounded person. I agree. Yeah. So, um, no, I don't. And I work in a college setting, so I don't have to really deal a lot with people that have Alzheimer's. <laughs> there have been. Um, there was a, a woman that worked there who had to leave cause she had, was showing signs of dementia. And of course we have people that it's their mother or their mother-in-law or somebody they care about. They come asking for help to the nurse's office and, and I'm involved with the Alzheimer's Association. They come out every, um, every so often, I, I just had them and they come actually tomorrow because we have two campuses tomorrow, they're coming to the other campus to do some ta- informational tabling. And we're working together um, to provide just information to the whole campus community because uh, you know it's not just grandparents anymore, it's parents like you, 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 your mother was young when she had it. So we actually have kids in college that have not just grandparents, but parents that are showing decline. So it's a very important issue for the millennial generation.
0: <laughs>
2: My daughter will be thrilled to hear that. that. <laughs> well, it's a fact. It um, is. More and more millennials are encountering, and they're not just in the grandparents or having parents caring. You know, their is life is disrupted with parents caring for their parents, but now it's the actual young 20-something-year-old that's providing care for yeah. a parent or a grandparent. So they've been kind of like in in the shadows and they're starting to be recognized and they
0: have different needs. That's that's definitely true. So do you have any, uh, are, you got any are you working on any more books currently? Yes, actually, I, I have a couple books
2: I just put out. I, I wrote a prequel to, to Blue Hydrangeas, which is called Christmas at Blue Hydrangeas. And it takes place in 1978 before they have uh, Alzheimer's in their life. And it's a fun little Christmas story about a blizzard and, and some unexpected guests that arrive at the inn. So, yeah, I think you would enjoy that. It's a quick oh, read, too. It's not oh, that 18,000-born read. Yeah, that's a good one. And then um, with my uh, organization, All's Authors, we just published an anthology of our first-year blog posts called Alzheimer's and Dementia Caregiving Stories. Yeah, I need to go on the website and read the essays. Oh, Yeah. I could yeah, spend all
0: day course, reading.
2: So could I. But that was kind of the, you know, a result of the book that I wrote. I had, I was having a really hard time finding a niche, finding an audience, and doing promotions. And I know like a lot of authors would bond together and co- cross promote their work. So I thought, hmm, maybe I should find some authors that wrote some Alzheimer's books and see if we can do that. And now we have a global organization. We have a website, a bookstore. Every week we feature a new book, with 170 authors. We just met for the first time in Chicago at a caregiving conference. It's
0: been like unbelievable. Yeah, I was telling Vicki. That's thing. Yeah, I was telling Vicki yesterday, I was, I was living vicariously through your, your meeting, your meet and mm-hmm. greet through Twitter and Instagram. Because all of a sudden, your guys' social media accounts were, <laughs> they are blowing up. I'm like, what are these guys doing? So I did a little, little more deeper look into it. I'm like, oh, they all got together for the first time. Okay. And yeah. And so it was, um, yeah. oh. and I talked to her a month or so ago, and I told her, I'm like, well, you guys need to come out to the West Coast soon. You know, San Francisco is a really great place to have a convention or a conference or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> then I can come. Yeah. If you guys go to L.A. or or maybe Oregon, I could probably, anywhere on the West Coast, I could probably make it. But San Francisco is easy because I Mm could train there. Yeah.
2: No, we're pretty, you know, we were ecstatic to finally meet because we'd been working, some of us, not all, but some of us were working together for three and a half years just using email and Skype, Google Chats, and texting and the phone, and just to be in the same room and see each other and hold each other. It was so wonderful. and. The ideas and the energy that we generated. So for what's coming up next with um, All's Authors, we're kind of on a little break right now because we had three major projects in October and November. So stopped for a little bit of a breather, but we have some good stuff next year. And you know, people who are looking for any kind of resources to help on the caregiving journey, especially Alzheimer's dementia, they should check out AllsAuthors.com. We have plenty of books and blogs that they might find. We believe that people need, need to educate themselves and you know, reading is a great way to do that. You can do it on your own, on your own time. It's not expensive. That's true. You can do it at home. You know, when, you're, when your person you're caring for is otherwise occupied, you might have some time, a few minutes or a half an hour or whatever to, to learn something about how to do what you're trying to do better. And understand the person because I just find too many people they don't know how to hand, they don't know what to do they don't understand it they don't understand the person they don't understand themselves and yet they don't
0: want to get help even read a book which is unbelievable. Well I appreciate the conversation this afternoon. Well, thanks for having me it's been great. And nice I look, you. you too and I look forward to finishing the book. <laughs> that's it for another week. I hope you found this conversation very helpful. And I encourage you to read Blue Hydrangeas. It honestly is a beautiful book. It's a great love story. And I'm sure you'll love it as much as I did. I appreciate you listening. And as always, I'll be in your ears again next week. Are you looking for a way to connect with your loved one? Maybe an activity you can do together instead of sitting around answering the same questions over and over again? Have you checked out two-lap books yet? If you haven't, you're missing out on something that I am certain you and your loved ones will thoroughly enjoy. Two-lap books have changed many of the visits I've had with mom tremendously. These simple read-aloud books were created specifically for memory-challenged adults, You see, people living with Alzheimer's eventually lose their ability to initiate conversation with others. Because of this, these uniquely adapted books, quote, give voice to these loved ones. By using the book's large, simple text and beautiful, colorful illustrations, we can initiate conversations. Most noteworthy, we can make meaningful connections with our loved ones and help stimulate their mind. Caregivers will enjoy sharing these books and creating purposeful, interactive activities for engaging people with memory deficits. Reading these books together could very likely bring out memories you can cherish together. There's a link in the show notes to the My Favorite Things page on my website. The page is linked to the Amazon pages of all my favorite books and products that have helped me with my mom over the years. Definitely check it out. I'm certain you'll find something that will help you like they helped me. That's why I created this page for you. Hey, listeners, can you do me a big favor? Can you click on the five-star button right there on your phone? Or head over to Apple iTunes and leave a rating or review? This is how new people find my podcast, and I can't be a supportive podcast if people don't know I exist. Thanks so much.